0: Jim Stewart is the local lad who lived the dream. Watching Bobby Ferguson from the terracing with his family, his ambition was simple, to wear the gloves himself. In this episode of the Killy History's Big Match series, Jim Stewart talks about the successes and the disappointments of a club and international career of distinction, as well as his coaching roles, and his foot with Hollywood, sort of. I'm Gordon Gillen, and this is Jim Stewart's Big Match. A call-up to a Scotland World Cup squad, if you can remember those, is a special moment. But in 1974... 20-year-old Jim Stewart had just completed a season, albeit successful, in the Scottish second tier with Kilmarnock. Did it come as a surprise for him, being asked to travel to West Germany with the likes of Dennis Law and Billy Bremner? Probably at that time, Gordon, I had had been in and around the squad and I'd I'd been involved
1: in, I can't remember the year, I think it was 73 after my first year in the first team. We went and played against Switzerland and Brazil in the summer. And Roy Orman had called me into the, the A squad as it was at that time. So I'd, I'd kind of get called up because of the injuries and it was a, a kind of summer time. And the other goalkeeper was Peter McCloy. So, um, so I had been in and around the squads. i played for under-23s at that time. And then as the season progressed, 70, 74, I actually played in a Scottish League match um, against the English League in Manchester. So I was I was kind of under the the eye the national manager at the time, and then again famous night at Hamden where uh, Scotland beat Czechoslovakia. I was in the squad, but albeit I was the third choice goalkeeper, so I was I was in the squad, but I was in the stands. It was mm-hmm. a memorable night as well know. That was a kind of introduction, you know, to to the a squad then. And then from the back end of what seventy from January onwards, there was I mean the manager was looking at a lot of players that was in the squad. Um, at that time, uh, the goalkeepers were Tom from Alan, Alistair Hunter, Peter McCloy had been in, Jimmy Brown was at... Uh, Jimmy was at Sheffield United, I think, at the time. So we were like, under 23 goalkeepers. Alan Ruff was playing as well for Patrick Thistle. So um, there, was, there was a few goalkeepers vying for that, the three spots. And obviously, when, when, when the squad was announced, it was total delight and amazement, you know, that obviously being a part-time player... Uh,
0: and managing to get uh, in the squad was fantastic. This idea of being a part-time player, now there's no doubt in some ways the part-time status will have, will have held some players back, but it's clear that there was still the potential for someone who was part-time to really achieve something quite significant.
1: Probably was. I mean, when I look back now and I think about it, you know, part-time, and as the leagues were then made up of two divisions, uh and and relegated in uh, the summer of seventy. Uh, 70- 73 so it was, it was that disappointment of the relegation you know having having been uh, at the club and they've come through the the housing days that they had uh late late 60s mm-hmm. you know and the, the, the club was beginning to transform from full-time to part-time so w- when i came in the transformation had almost been complete i was combining my work i I C I i i was i was studying to be a uh, an engineer, you know, so that was part of my psyche my as well. My dad would always kind of spoke to me and, and says, you know, get a trade behind you, that kind of stuff, because of the uncertainty of the football. So to be selected, you know, from that kind of era and, and then the division we were in, I suppose when you look back now, would it be something that would happen nowadays? I doubt it, you know, but uh, I've always considered myself to be about a bit lucky and fortunate that uh, these things went well for me. I think, Gordon, there were was, was so many things in that summer because
2: before that, we, we had played... Um, <coughs> at that time, the Home Internationals were there and we played Wales,
1: Ireland and then England. In this section period, we played those three matches. We then went and played Belgium in Belgium pre-World Cup and then we went and played Norway in warm-up games before going to Germany. So there was, there was this kind of build-up towards the actual games, you know, and, and knowing what was coming along in terms of Zambia, Brazil and Yugoslavia... So it was almost like a six week period. You were together as a group and the group had been together. For, for obviously sincerely qualifying um, and i come into it kind of late on in it but uh, you know the goalkeepers within the squad started evolving David Harvey became first choice goalkeeper Thompson Allen who was at Dundee at the time he actually played in Norway and he'd also played in a friendly against Germany so I, I kind of knew the role that you know having been 20 years of age I'm not going to uh, prepare myself in front of people are playing at Leeds United and Thompson Allen was playing at Dundee as I said and they were doing well at the time so it, it was a case of manager spoke to me, Willie Ormond spoke to me and said, that you know, use this as much as you can. as an experience for you and and use it for your future football career. After it was finished, I looked back and I went, how exciting the whole thing was, how big stage it was for for a lot of guys. You know, and that included the guys who were playing in the English Premier Premier Division at the time. So for me as a part-time player playing in the Second Division in Scotland, you know, it was like, I need to take this in, I need to learn. My mindset was always... I really enjoyed this. It'd be fantastic, uh, you know, and I'm hoping I can go another couple of these. But uh, as <laughs> the history tells you, I never went to any more. The thing for me was that in the, in the future, the uh, future World Cups of '78 and '82, I was actually I was actually named in the squad. Probably with a disappointment, and not going to Argentina you know, because I had been in the squads leading up towards the finals and then I missed out in the final selection and then I was back in the squad um, for the first international after it and the same happened again in 82, so... I mean, when I reflect on it now, there was a major disappointment at no going to three, especially having been in the squads before and then obviously coming back in the squad after that. Now I never at that time you never broached the subject with the with the manager. You know, it was always a kind of well, The manager at the time was Alan McLeod and then it was Jock So I mean, I wasn't going to go and tell him and say why well, you know not pick me for the World Cup. But it was it was that was a disappointment. You know that that uh, three World Cups. Would have been would have been a fantastic achievement, but I should
0: count myself lucky that I got to one. What's the adage about the old adage about well, the manager's door? My door is always open, but that maybe wouldn't have been the case with Jock Steen. No, I
1: decided uh, no, I'm not gonna go in challenge Alley <laughs> or or uh, Mr.
0: Steen. No, no, I'll leave that one. <laughs> and then you made your Scotland debut in 1977 while well, it's well known still a Kilmarnock player. It's quite a significant match and for you for, as being your debut. But in all kinds of senses... It,
1: it was, you know. I mean, obviously
0: having gone in, in, in seventy-four, you know, and then uh,
1: the squad uh, began to evolve a wee bit. Thompson Allen kind of dropped out of the squad and I became almost like uh, a second choice. Alan Ruff began. And uh, a about the squad, David Harvey was beginning to, to move to the side as well. So basically Alan Ruff became the main, the main goalkeeper. And I was always searching for that game. When can I get the opportunity and making my debut? Uh, and it never came along until we uh, we were involved in a pre World Cup seventy eight World Cup tour to South America, which involved uh, games in Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. You know, which was a fantastic uh, opportunity for for everyone. But then, just before it, there was there was uh, a coup. In in, uh, Chile, where lots of people were were arrested and unfortunately they they met their their, uh, their death in the stadium that we went to play in. So there was a a massive uproar uh, from political elements in the country at the time. You know, saying that uh, they, they didn't think it was a good idea that we went and played in that stadium. As a player, we kind of kept ourselves away from the politics and we were guided by the SFA at the time. Obviously, the tour was on and we, we went. So, again, my, my debut was in, in Santiago, in Chile, you know, and I came on as a second half substitute for Alan for Ruff. It was a magnificent feeling, you know, to get capped for your country, albeit so many miles away and, and no family there to support you. Uh, fortunately enough, we we uh, we won the game four two, and had a couple of, a couple of things to do within the game. That I was happy with, you know, but it was it was a strange feeling because uh, you know as obviously we came into the stadium and there was protests and so on and, um, going on within the country. So it was it was a kind of
0: hostile atmosphere. International recognition. What is the time that you that feels the most special? The first time you get the phone call, is it when you actually step onto the pitch? Is it the first time you touch the ball? Bo- what is the time that you think? This is, this is real now.
1: My initial call-up to the full squad was, was unbelievable. As I said earlier, the games are against Switzerland and Brazil. Brazil at Hampton. What a fantastic experience, albeit I was on the bench. But then suddenly, you know, within a couple of years, I'm then, I'm then going to South America to play in, in Chile and Argentina. And then then against Brazil and the Maracana. And it was that, that was just eye opening Alan McLeod took me aside, you know, before the match and uh, he said to me he said he was going to put me on as a second half substitute so I was absolutely delighted I mean obviously you would like to start at the game but Alan played the first 45 minutes and I came on and for me it was like when Ali said I was going to play you know I was I was absolutely delighted obviously there was no mobile phones then to phone home and I let everybody know I was I was going to be playing so, so we managed to get a phone and, and let, let people know but the time difference was unbelievable people listening to the radio in the early hours of the morning it was a bit unreal
0: Your Scotland career and your involvement, that's a flying start, and I think it's fair to say that that was possible as a result of the flying start that you made at Kilmarnock. I'd like to ask you, please, about the background to making your debut, the league debut, and how that league debut came about with the Anglo Cup match that came before that.
1: I'd been about the club for a number of years, assigned in 1968 as a schoolboy along with Gordon Smith. So we have been in about the club for a number of years. And when I think back, Kilmarnock, in terms of development for myself, was first class because they found me out to, to Belfield Boys Club, one of the local uh, boys clubs who were, who were an excellent team at the time. You know, so it gave me a good grounding at that time to, to go and play above my age group. From there, I was twin juniors uh, for a year and uh, spent, spent time with Alan Robertson there. And then the following season, I think it was 72 or thereabouts, the was actually got called up. So we signed professional contracts and with a year in the reserves. And then from there, it was a case Alistair Hunter was was playing and he was playing very well. He was a national goalkeeper at the time and obviously he was was playing well for Kilmarnock. Um, And unfortunately Alistair got injured uh, in in a match just before we played Wolves in the uh, Tipsaco Cup at Rugby Park. So... I gave him an opportunity, Walter McKee was the manager at the time, he came along and he said, Look, just let you know you're playing So I was I was going, All right, so Alistair's no fit so it was a case of getting your head Round about that to to play rules at that time. we in the English first division and there's a number of fantastic stars. Phil Pass was a the goalkeeper. They had uh, Derek Dugan playing for them, uh, Mike Bailey in the middle of the park, you know, there was a flying winner called Wagstaff. They they were they were really a good team and uh fortunately enough we come we come away with a and 0-0 draw at Rugby Park so for that, that that gave us a bit of confidence obviously having played in that kind of arena and, and done away fine in it then on the Saturday Alistair was still struggling and our first league match was uh, was Rangers at home you know we, we hadn't really started the season that well and obviously it was a big game because Rangers I mean, coming to town is a big game at any time but you know obviously making your league debut against them and the club the club at that time was striving to get points and there was a number of making more debuts Gordon Smith had played earlier, Bobby Stevenson who came into the team, uh, and Alan Roberts and myself both both made our debuts against against Rangers. And fortunately enough, you know, we
0: came come out on the on the, the good side and we managed to win the game. you need a good performance from your goalkeeper that day.
1: I was I was forced again that one or two things went well for me and you know again I think it was a test and it, you know again being young in the first team, getting the opportunity, the manager believing that okay we're going to go and play you and obviously when you when you play and, any amount of training can you prepare you for these types of matches. And then you're in the game and you just start focusing on what's on important issues. And uh, as I said, fortunate enough for myself
2: that the things went well and I enjoyed the game and we got the result that we needed.
0: Jim, did the communication side come to you quite naturally in terms of talking the back forth through a game like that? At that
1: time, you know, sometimes you talk through nerves. I think, uh, you know, maybe sometimes you become a commentator rather than maybe instructing people. And I remember Andy King, who played in the Championship winning team, had played with us in the reserves. We were fortunate enough to play with Frank Beatty and Jack and, uh, and Glory, And they used to speak to the youngsters and used to talk to ourselves and, and say, you know, information is good. When, when you give information, make it relative to this and you're trying to portray. and in the middle of the game, you're, you're so hyped up that it becomes a commentary. But as you get older, you know, that information becomes so important. And because of your experience, you realise uh, when and where to speak. Gordon Smith and myself were... We were in the club, um, I, I was, I'd signed an s form with the Gordon, we were still at school. School holidays, we, we went and trained with Kilmarnock, we, we trained with the first team. For youngsters at that age, to get the opportunity, for the manager to give us the opportunity to train with these guys, uh, it was absolutely fantastic. It was a the remnants of the, the championship winning team. Uh, Andy King was still about at the time and Alan McDonald, Jimmy Cook was there. Eddie Morrison was there so, so there, was, there was really good experience in and around the dressing room and every one of them took an interest in us because we were coming in they obviously seen some good parts of our game Um, at that time Sandy McLaughlin was the goalkeeper Sandy Sandy actually came from the same town as myself in Kilwarnham so we kind of travelled together and, and Sandy would, would always always look after me in terms of make sure I was doing the right things if, if I'd made a couple of errors he would always help my confidence in that respect and, and help me through things so there was, there was Plenty of good guys in the dressing room to to assist and help us. I was I was a supporter. I went with my dad and and uncles, uh, stood in the terracing and and uh, supported the club. You know when. When they were running the league and they were they were playing in Europe and they were they were challenging for uh, for trophies, having the feel of that as a supporter, then the opportunity, you know, to go and train initially and, and see whether people seen something that was positive, and and I was fortunate. enough that They then asked me to sign an S form, and from there, you know, it almost became a case that they took over the development myself and Gordon and under the other youngsters. You know, there was there was an aim to the end of it. We were all local lads. We were delighted to get the opportunity first and foremost to, to go to the club but, but obviously the main thing was to, to get in the first team and give yourself a chance of being a professional football player, albeit
0: that time it was part time. As so Ali Hunter was in goals, started the season, he picked up the injury, you came in, he then replaced you again but he moved to Celtic halfway through that season. Did, yeah. did, you, did you feel ready to take on the position full time? As I
1: said earlier, I played a couple of games. I obviously played the match against Wolves and the soccer Cup and then I played against Rangers in the league at Kilmarnock and then we played a broth away from home which was a three-inch draw so. As soon as Alastair was fit... Uh, Walter spoke to me and, and told me that, you know, at the end of the day, Alistair's the first choice goalkeeper, he, he's a national goalkeeper, and he'd gone out of the team through injury. So that was me back in the reserves for that period. But it was again back into the reserves and adjusting, to playing for the reserves again, you know. And I was fortunate enough that at that time that John Murdoch, who was the next goalkeeper and had been about the club for a number of years, had helped me in terms of my development. John helped me to adjust back towards the reserves. And then we played Harps at Tyne Castle, and I think Alistair picked up another injury uh, and it gave me an opportunity to go and play. And we drew the game, nothing each. Again, happy how we played and again getting the point was a big a big thing to help the league cause. And and then Walter just says, look, I'm going to leave you in. You know, so Alistair was, was effectively uh, coming back fit. From there, there was obviously talk of Alistair moving to Celtic. Alan McCulloch had come in about the team around about the club around about that time and Alan was still at Kilburner Lake side playing. So it was almost like a natural progression when Alistair left to go to Celtic that Alan then
0: became the, you know, the, the reserve goalkeeper at that time. The goalkeepers you're naming, it's Scotland Internationals or in, yes. um, in Alan McCulloch's case Scotland League Select International. These are a lot of really good goalkeepers that we're talking about here. What was it about Kilmarnock that meant that they could, was it coaching, was it scouting? How did they all end up at Kilmarnock? I think it was a bit of both. Um,
1: when, when you think back again to the league running site when Bobby Ferguson played and Bobby was not far from myself, he stayed in the Dawson. Um, the scout that scouted Bobby was the same guy that looked at myself and Alan and obviously looked at Alastair as well. So I think in terms of talent ID, way back then at Kilmarnock... Uh, had guys who could identify a talent and, and goalkeepers. From, from there, it was it was almost a, a
2: development in terms of the, the as I said earlier, John Murdoch was the reserve team
1: trainer at that time, but he had been the next goalkeeper, Kelvin Meadow. So he took an interest in the in the training of goalkeepers then rather on the coaching. Um so it was probably more physical. It was tactical, but but there was an element of. Uh, Preparing yourself for, for matches when they came up and how important the goalkeeper's role in the team. You know, can you make the saves that maybe uh, get you that point or win you the game? So there
0: was definitely a, a strong element of uh, goalkeeping work done, um, and that that was that was all credit to John. We know how the story finishes in seventy three seventy four. It finishes yeah. with promotion, but also also finishes with you being in the World Cup squad. Willie Fernie's team. It was. The focus was attack Let's put it that way Do you feel that maybe You got more chance To impress Playing in that team Than you might otherwise have I think we certainly did You know Because it was a
1: a, I'm not sure It was a culture shock When Willie came in And it was uh, His philosophy At that time was We're going to score more goals than, than the opposition you know and by doing that obviously you left yourself a wee bit exposed at the back you know so there was there was a number of occasions where, where you end up having a bit of work to do you know but as, as you were alluding to earlier we, we did I think we, we finished top scorers but we did concede a number of goals in games and there was some some high scoring games if I mind right for there but uh, but Rolly really was the type as long as you scored one more goal in the opposition he seemed quite happy about it you know but from a goalkeeping
0: point of view you're saying you know we're, we're losing goals but we're Games. It feels a bit counterintuitive that the goalkeeper in a team that is conceding goals because of the attacking football ends up playing in or being selected for the World Cup squad. So you, so you, <laughs> mu- so you, but, you, but you see what I mean? Though you, mu- but you must have been yeah. impressing. Do you have any kind of particular memories of of your own performances that season? If I remember back to the start of the season, we 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 didn't start the season particularly well, um, and I think that obviously led to, to Walter leaving the club. When, when Willie came in, our first
1: match, or his first match, I think, we played. He was at the game when we played St Johnston in the quarterfinal League Cup, which we won in Rugby Park. So, um, and then he was announced as a manager. Uh, and from there, we played Adrian Saturday and we won 4-0. You know, and it was it was like a breath of fresh air. His positive attitude towards attacking football at that time was beginning to rub off. And a lot of younger guys, as I said earlier, like Ian McCulloch was coming in about the team, and David Proven, Bobby Stevenson was there, Gordon Smith, Alan Robertson and these guys. So there was a, an element of younger ones. And, and from there, you know, we, uh, we, we went on a decent run. Near the end of the season, I think, if my memory serves me right, we, we were getting pushed by, by Hamilton and Queen of the South. One of the games I remember, Queen of the South at Kilmarnock, and Ronnie Hamilton was playing for, for Queen of the South <laughs> at, at the time, you know. And, and Ronnie, was, he was he was certainly an aggressive uh, centre-forward, you know, and he was trying to noise one or two of us up he!
2: <laughs> and I
0: see why he didn't mention it, because it was Kilmarnock 1, Queen of the South, no? That's correct So that's probably why he didn't feature In one of his classic <laughs> matches <laughs> So going into the 74-75 season And into the Premier League The tactics used They were quite similar weren't they There wasn't much of a change Do you think that Could a change have made a slight difference? I mean it's it season in
1: hindsight To look back But Wally, Wally was The type of person He, he believed in And how he seen football being played You know he, when he was a Celtic as a player Obviously they were They were a bit cavalier In that, how they approached things he, he was used to maybe at that time as a player winning things so obviously when he came to himself he tried to instill uh, positivity in, in ourselves you know but there was times where he felt that like, certainly away from home could we maybe uh, defensively show things up a wee bit tighter we, we actually played in the game I think we beat, no, we beat 5-4 from Motherwell and, and everybody was raving about how good a game it was and I could just think about how, how's it the game of lost five goals you know so <laughs> again thinking Thinking along
2: those lines, Played in the United, tired gone. I think we beat them four three as well away from home. It was a great result, but you know you think back and you go, God, we scored four goals away from home, but we've conceded three. Okay. You know it was it was it was crazy, it was crazy, and it was just it was one of those maybe maybe if we'd been a wee bit more sensible in, in terms of
1: defending, we might have just uh, done done myself just a wee bit more justice in terms of the league.
0: Even in the promotion season, you must have been tearing your hair out sometimes at maybe being caught a little bit short at the back. Well, we did, you know, but, but uh, and I think at that
1: time, you know, when you think back to football, football was probably a wee bit more open, uh, more so than it is now, you know, that, uh, that teams wouldn't set up as defensively as they do now, you know, so there was a bit of openness about how the football was played, uh, and it wasn't a bad thing. You know, but as you say, it was obviously if you were, if you were uh, pushing to get a result
2: that uh, you required to, to win the league, then obviously you can kind of gaps at the back and sometimes people took, took advantage of that.
0: Six years and 220 games for Clamarnock. What other moments does Jim Stewart look back on fondly?
1: I think back to the Scottish Cup run we had and we played St Mirren. Celtic and obviously in the replay and then we played Rangers. You know, th- those were massive games because St. Martin were just inside at the time. Alec Ferguson was the manager and, and obviously we-, we played them at Love Street and we-, we got a great result in terms of, you know, progressing through in the cup and obviously to draw Celtic in the next round you know was massive for the club they were favourites to, to win the tie my memories of the game where I think we deserved to win the game and obviously coming back to Rugby Park where there was a there was a great crowd and you know there was a, a good expectation that well we've done well in the first game can we possibly pull off a shock again thinking back Roy can ordered off if my memory's right and and Big Deck scored scored the winning goal you know and cleared one off the line uh, but she keeps remembering me a bit so (laughs) that was a good cup run Unfortunately, we played Rangers almost uh, very quickly after that match, and as part-time players, obviously working and, and then training, and then having to prepare ourselves for a match against Rangers, we kind of ran out of steam a wee bit, and us uh, out at the cup, so that was a disappointment. Uh, after after putting Celtic out of the cup, but I mean, I think that was a highlight. Uh, you know, it was a it was a good opportunity for ourselves. You know, to to get a wee bit of glory, and and, and again, it was it was Celtic who were transforming in terms of the the play- players I had at the club that David Proven, I think, played that night and was, was unbelievable. You know, so there was a nucleus of good young players at Kilmarnock, but it was just, if we'd been full-time, maybe we would have seen a, a better value in terms of uh, us as individuals helping the club to, to a better
0: platform. After a move to Middlesbrough, and later, Scottish Cup success with Rangers, Jim Stewart had unfinished business in Ayrshire. You returned to Kilmarnock later in your career, and you played against Kulnocki. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I did and, and, and the credit If I
0: remember The credit's actually have me down Is Colin Meldrum Yes <laughs> <laughs> But what, what, like, what I'd like To pull you up on Straight away is Alan Lawrence You kind of bravely went down And made a save Against Alan Lawrence Early on Yeah But Andy Smith's header I wasn't overly impressed By the attempt You made to get to that ball The attempt uh,
1: And <laughs> um, uh, this, this is Funny Gordon Because at the time There was a number Of other players involved In the Kilnocky team there was I Jimmy Boyle and Owen
2: Coyle and Andy were were all there at the time and it took them about seven or eight attempts to uh, to finally get that goal. Um and, and Andy eventually
1: scored and he says, That's not what's in the script kind of thing. I says, Andy, you've got goal, just just take it and move on, you know. Um, they'll probably edit it and make it look a World Cup goal at <laughs> But um, the whole thing was, it was a great experience because it came about with Jim Fleeton and Jim McSherry who were at the club at the time and obviously uh, when they were asked if they could contribute to, to this, uh, this film shot at glory so we all got a role to play, Jim Colburn became the manager and one or two other famous faces got it about the place. How did the credit come about the Colin Mildredeum? I, I don't know. Um, it was some of the guys that had watched it. They'd watched the film through, and I'd never watched it. And then my boys at the time said, "That probably that's movie. We're we going to watch it. And I went, OK, we'll go and watch it. So then we're obviously watching it and following it through and saying, I wonder if your name's on it. And I think it came up Colin Meldrum. I went,
0: Oh, that's the first time I've been deemed for nothing. <laughs> I don't know who was the most gutter nearly or myself. <laughs> well, looking at the goal that gets shipped, I think you're probably quite happy. Colin Meldrum's name against it. <laughs> I I would definitely say it was Melody then. It was it was a good experience. It was it was something different and God I shot it, glory. Obviously they were filming it and it was set up for
2: the guys to they had to get through and that type of thing and Alistair's uh, the manager he's in the crowd behind the goals and I knew him and he's just shouting verbals I'm going you he can't be serious man and, <laughs> and he was just
1: going on and on and on all the time but it was it was one of the days where there were so many things happening Robert Duvall was there the producer and director says right okay cut we're going for lunch and Jim Fleeton, and for that, he's like, going, no. so going to go now. so we're to the big bus and it's, it's actually the, the canteen they've got lobster they've got everything you can name
2: under the sun they're going I thought this was a little... <laughs> <laughs> Jim Stewart's
0: contribution to goalkeeper coaching in Scotland cannot be underestimated. But as a career, was it always on his radar?
1: I think when I was coming to the end of my career, and I, I came back and I was signed for Kamala, Alan McCulloch was still the goalkeeper. And I came back and I was, I was actually with the MLG police at the time. So, so I came back and I, and I kind of signed almost as a reserve goalkeeper. I kind of started doing a wee bit of coaching and, and then I thought coaching schools and things like that. So I was always kind of minded to do things along those lines. Uh, and it was about 1986 or thereabouts where the SFA were beginning to introduce goalkeeping coaching development so I went in a couple of courses and I got involved in that and it kind of opened my eyes into well maybe there's an opportunity to, to look at this and, and, and see what it takes us and from there you know it was it was a, it was a coming back in to come like, well, and the was appointed the manager he asked me to come in and be, be the coach so I was happy to become the goalkeeping coach for there on in and I played the German Sherry and Frank Coulson come on as, a, as one of the coaches, so we had a topsy-turvy bit. We obviously uh, demoted in the first year of jumps managerial, training and that, and then the following season we get we promotion, and it was it was a fantastic day. Obviously, finish up with a victory against Cowden Beath. As being a coach, things started to evolve, and my, my day job as a MOD policeman began to, you know, seem less attractive although it was safe um, a number of clubs had asked me if I could come in and help their goalkeepers so I ended up becoming a self-employed goalkeeping coach going around a number of clubs uh, from there and, and, and from there it kind of blossomed into different things and um, when Bobby Wilson became the manager at Kilmarnock there was a bit of money floating about he said would you fancy coming in as a full-time goalkeeping coach so I definitely decided oh, I'm going to come back to Kilmarnock and have a go at that so we agreed to do it and then Bobby Bobby moved it up <laughs> so uh, Jim Jeffries come in and to be fair to me honoured, honoured the, uh, the agreement that was there, so for the next three years I was, was a full-time goalkeeping coach at Kilmarnock but I, I definitely had always the aspiration that, you know, can kind I of help younger goalkeepers, Can kind I of help goalkeepers to improve uh, I think because my early development at Kilmarnock was because, you know, John Murder and when I went to Troon, there was a chap called Ernie Nash, who was a former goalkeeper as well, that they took an interest in myself and helped
0: me when, it, when, I was, when I was young you must feel a sense of pride when you think of quite a few of the goalkeepers that you have worked with have gone on to very successful careers themselves.
1: I, th- I think it's, I mean, it's,
0: it's amazing, you know, when
1: I look back at Kilmarnock and the uh, game through, through probably having a good scouting system and, and Alan Robertson, who was in charge of the youth system at the time, and, and we managed to identify a number of goalkeepers. And, you know, you look at Colin Meldrum and Graham Smith, Craig Sampson, Cammy Bell... My son, Colin, came in. He came back up from Upswich and, and we looked at that and we, we helped him in terms of uh, their development. There were loan deals arranged for them. They went and played at Queen's Park and and Queen of the South. So these guys all get exposure to lower league football um, to try and help with development. And thankfully... Uh, Every one of them went on and played for for the first team, and from there, their, their careers were, were were decent careers in terms when you look back at the number of performances they had with, with relative uh, success and the clubs they played for. And from there, you know they, they came to the coaching courses. They had obviously looked into to to be coaches, and I, I think it's testament to them that uh, that they've they've took on board the things that we worked at and
2: the things we looked at, and obviously they've got their own spin on it. But they're now all working at a, a good. Level. If, if I look back, then I can say to myself, Kilmarnock was a successful time for
1: myself. It was good. The next step for me was obviously moving to full-time football. That had been taught back and forth about moving to Rangers, but that never materialized. And, and moving to... To England to play in the the first division at that time was a test with Middlesbrough, you know. So that was a test of my abilities to see whether I could play at that level. I felt I coped well. Again, I was I was working with Jim Platt, who was a Northern Ireland goalkeeper at the time, so there was a good rivalry there. Um and sometimes sometimes I didn't play. So that led to me coming back to Rangers where I got the opportunity to play to play at a big club and again that was a test. How could you how could you cope with that? Could you cope with that? The initial spell was fine, you know, I felt as if I was I was fine myself settled into the club well. Then there was obviously times where your know confidence wasn't as high as it could have been. And probably, when I look back now, the biggest thing that I could have done uh, and helped myself was, was having somebody like myself at the club. that time, there was no goalkeeping coaches, coaches uh, in, in the Scottish game, you know, so if there'd been somebody there who
2: could have guided and helped a wee bit, you know, it might have been maybe a wee bit more successful. But you know, I'd like to think that um, over the piece that
1: I, I gave, the exciting times to, to the supporters I played with, I'm only glad I had the opportunity to become a, a professional football player. If I had somebody to guide me when I was playing, I think that would have helped me be a more confident goalkeeper. And I know that for a fact, you know, because because of things I've learned in coaching and how I've applied the coaching skills that I've, I've developed, you know, to pass on to the other goalkeepers. And I know it's effective. And I keep, keep reflecting back to, to when I play. And obviously you come across yourself and on YouTube and you go, my God, what is, what is that? You know, and you <laughs> say to yourself, it's just that guidance that, that might have helped, you know. Uh, unfortunately, that, that wasn't an area that was, was looked at as uh, an area where, where clubs could afford to bring in a goalkeeping coach. But I'm glad to say that the, the way things have progressed and, and most clubs have now now got qualified goalkeeping coaches to, to help young
2: goalkeepers in the club and help with their development and help with their understanding of the position. Is there somebody in a defence that you played in, I played as a part of, that you could always
0: stick your money on? Who would be the person that you think I could always rely on them?
1: I think for me, when I look back in my career, it would always be Alan Robert. <laughs> when Alan and I played together, and he uh, it was, it was meddling, he was always behind you on the line, clear balls off the line. His performances were unbelievable in terms of consistency. When he eventually it overtook Frank Beatty's league appearances. There was no one more deserving of that than Alan. The loyalty he showed the club and the progress he made within the,
2: the coaching and the youth ranks when he when he took that over was was nothing short of fantastic.
0: What does Kilmarnock Football Club mean to Jim Stewart?
2: You know, when we first obviously went in about the club and that there was, there was massive traditions and that
1: you know like you know, putting your shorts on last before you went out that's only small things that become major things that you, you respect the, the older players asking you to recognise the traditions of the club and, and obviously Kilmarin has been one of the clubs and it's going a home the club but you because know, at the end of the day they're a they're, they're the professional football club they're there to try and win things and the people that came in doesn't matter who they were they were always treated in the, in the same way, everybody everybody on each other. And I'm glad to see that every time you go back to Kamala, there's a smiling face here to greet you. Maybe somebody you've played with, it might be a, a supporter you've known for for a number of years ago and you think it hey, Tommy Adams and the number of guys that like that they go about the club it's, I think it's just a fantastic uh, place to have played. You know I, I think we all consider ourselves. It, it was an honor, you know, to play and, and be part of part of the club. You know, and and it's, it's always one of the things that you, you you would love to have won something. with of the guys who have been on to, to obviously since then, Scottish Cup victories and League Cup victories. You know, you look back at them and you go, oh, if, if only, if
2: only that would have been the icing on the cake. And When I was really
1: young and my dad and that took me and my brother to, we would go most Saturdays uh, to Kilmarnock and we would follow and we would go away and my uncles and that. You'd probably say a 50 year adventure <laughs> and it's still not finished yet. As I say, God, I was brought up with, you know, at that time it was say. Uh, 65 winning team and it was progressing Bob, Bobby Ferguson obviously was a was goalkeeper I watched when I was younger you know and then, and then eventually Sandy Sandy McLaughlin comes into the team so, so you look at guys like that and then you see Frank Beatty and Jack McGrory and Andy King you know these guys Tommy McLean had moved on Jimmy Cook was obviously there Eddie Morrison John Gilmer was, was in the team Billy Dixon you know the, these were these were all great guys uh, Jim White came from Aberdeen and you know they, they were I think you said earlier you touched on it. People being humble, you know, and receptive to younger guys coming in, you know. And I think at that time there was there was so many uh, supporters clubs that, that we we attended. You know, you felt as if you actually knew people in the different associations. We so think Adrosin and District had one and you know, Malkland, uh supporters club and uh, the Valley, and, and and all these things. Where I definitely think that's that's a thing that that community thing that like um built on uh, at one time, you know, can can he do that again? Can he get that identity of being a being a community club to to draw people from the surrounding area in, you know, and and obviously from that can we get can we get younger players in about the club and and hopefully uh, progress through the first team.
0: Thank you to Jim Stewart for his reflections on his time with Clumarnock Football Club. 220 games by the age of 23 in a specialist position, a clear indication of its importance to the team. The Killey History's Big Match series is a Right Half Communications production in partnership with the Klumarnock FC Former Players Association and the Killy Trust. Visit at righthalf.co.uk. As always, huge thanks to the Klomarick FC Former Players Association and Paul Clark for setting up the interview. Thank you also to John Livingston for providing statistical background to Jim's career. The theme music Clear Progress by scottholmesmusic.com, is used under a free Creative Commons licence. This interview was recorded in August 2020 by telephone call. Make sure to follow the series on Twitter at Histories. I'm Gordon Gillan. See you next time.
1: Ian in McCullough, Paul Clark, then Dickie, Zalvin Robertson. its fantastic, you know, just to get the chance to, to catch up and them, and that's some of the some of the good games, some of the most good games. But I think there was a closeness within that group. They're all good guys. Everyone else, you know, it's just one of these guys who got lucky. I supported the club and I played for them, so. It doesn't get any better.